Hello everybody, my name is Robin Harford from eatweeds.co.uk and today I'm here with Emma Welton, who is a local musician to where I live, which is in Exeter, Devon, and also the creator of Soundwalks, which is why I've asked her to come on the show. Welcome, Emma. Thanks for coming. Could you just share a little bit about your background and then maybe... What's this Soundwalks? What is this all about? Thanks for um, inviting me to talk about them. I'm a musician and I've always been a musician. I started learning the violin when I was three and uh, I've played ever since. I can't remember a time when I didn't make music. And I have been a professional musician, freelance, particularly interested in contemporary music performance and composing and yeah making a living as a as a freelance musician um, for all my adult life I've been since living in Exeter putting on a regular concert series of very quiet music some experimental some quite conceptual some just very quiet and lovely called a quiet night in um, with Tony Whitehead so we've got a bit of a track record of curating and putting on quiet music where we invite people to be in a very sort of attentive state of listening. Some of the music's so quiet, you're barely sure whether it's happening uh, or not. Um, or maybe that was the bus going past the building outside. So we're, we're already sort of in that kind of world of attending. And in 2014, I started to compose Having not really composed very much for a long time, I started, I really thought I've got to work out how I can deal with my concerns about climate change, climate emergency. Somehow, through my practice, I can't just be a musician happily making music with, with all the concerns that I have um, about climate emergency without somehow finding a way of addressing it. So I started, I found a way of composing music um, about the climate emergency, but not using words, not describing very visceral things, um, using data from electricity generation, making recordings of electricity generation, and combining them with people, humans performing live in a concert hall. So these were all works for the concert hall. And they were quite, they were quite interruptive, I suppose, of, of concert hall, the kind of thing you'd expect to find in a concert hall, like concert hall conventions. And of course, like so many things in March this year, all of that came crashing down. <laughs> so all my all my live work, my my employment, my living, and all of my creative outlets just just evaporated in in a moment. So the soundwalks came out of have come out of that, and so in some ways I think I'm in a completely new creative space now, which I wouldn't have come to were it not for. COVID-19 but in other respects it makes total sense when you consider A Quiet Night In and the, and the creative journey that I've been making all that I've done is dispensed with the concert hall and actually any instruments <laughs> so my practice now is really based on listening and close attentive listening and I can say more about the sound walks now if you want. So just to put this in context as to why I brought you on the on the Eat Weeds show, the word being within the name, mm. weeds, wild plants, subtag is for people who love plants, is that I came out with you yesterday to 
for you to map out a, a, a new sound walk and the practice of listening to our environment, nature, which we can get into, what, do we, what are we talking about here, um, includes plants. So, yeah, so that's put it in context. So let's take it forwards with yeah. exploring sound walks because in my own nature connection practice, when I teach people, I use a lot of attentive listening to the environment so let's go on with that mm. so what were you going to say well at the beginning of lockdown I found myself accompanying my son a lot on his geocaching missions trying to find small small objects in 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 environments so I was I was very I really enjoyed the opportunity that I had while he was hunting for things in the environment I had time to stand and listen and pay attention longer than I would normally and on the, the other side of that is I was working out, trying to work out how to run a family orchestra, which usually meets in person to create and perform, make music together. But we had all had to go online. And I was really worried about kid, kids and adults who were already at school or work online due to not, the schools not being open, spending five days a week online and then giving them a Sunday morning activity, which is also online. When I really thought, actually, I want these people to be outside and I need to be outside and we all should be being outside as much as possible. And we had that glorious spring where we were all suddenly thrown into, into nature. And we had this incredible collective experience of what of the sounds of the soundscape once the cars in the landscape had halted, had stopped, and there weren't cars. I, I live in a in a suburban neighborhood on a on a quite a busy main road. So the the different the change when when the car stopped was uh, stunning, and everybody noticed it. You couldn't not notice it. You know the the sound of every leaf in the tree was in high definition as the as the breeze passed through it. The blackbird, the outline of of every frequency that I could pick up of the blackbird sound, I could hear for the first time ever. And the, the people's voices, actually people in the street, because people did chat in the street in a way that they don't normally, they don't linger. So there's a really profound <laughs> realization about what sound is or could be in our habitat. And the whole, the whole thing just struck me suddenly. So the sound walks came as a, actually a response to lots of different things happening together. My, my wanting to continue to create, to compose and to get people outside, to be outside myself and to really notice, to pay attention to what was going on. So I started to compose these. Really, it was as an act activity for the family orchestra to do for each other. So there are things that you can do when you're not allowed to meet outside other people but you've got you can go out once a day you could go and do a sound walk and if you compose a sound walk in your neighborhood you set it down in some way so that you can offer it to somebody else as an experience so although you're having that experience at different times it's a profoundly co connecting thing I've discovered and what I think it's about is just connect and, and it only it is it is really important that connecting thing it is about connecting with other people through it at different times and feeding back and talking about this 
shared experience of the sounds in our in our neighborhood but also of course connecting us with the sounds of, in, in our neighborhood in a in a really detailed conscious way I think I think that's what it's come to me so I'm composing these sound walks. I set them down on a uh, on a single sheet of A4 they're designed to be printed they're little little maps and illustrated maps and little bits of text about ways of listening on a short walk it might be just half a kilometer it might be as long as a mile the idea is to do it very slowly with lots of pauses probably on your own although I've started doing group walks together by by request actually which has been quite an education for me um, so that's that's how they're that's sort of how they're looking and I'm making two each month for a year just in my on my patch and mostly just going from my house in different directions and so by the end of the year I'll have 24 which which will be a, a, a quite a nice product I suppose a surprising product of this this period of time. I think for me what came up during the sound walk was a number of a number of points and the first one is which I've banged on about in the last couple of episodes is this understanding of the word community and that often the kind of conventional definition when we think and talk community is just exclusive to humans and yet with a sound walk we are opening up our in this context the listening sense to embrace the greater community, the more than human community. And I find that fascinating. I personally have been involved not as a creative, but as a, as a listener since my teens, as I discussed yesterday, when Jean-Michel Jarre did Oxygen, I wanted to get his synth and record the sound of sap rising, but that's at a very granular level kind of beyond human listening level, but only pick up a bull by a microphone, possibly. So when I knew that and realized that you were, one, you were in my community, and two, that you are, I've had been to your quiet nights in, but the fact that you've now taken this outside and now the environment, the, your local land base is your orchestra, as you said yesterday. So there's community embeds us far deeper within our sense of place but also I was fascinated when we started the walk yesterday at the roundabout and you were focusing on the cars and we often talk of nature as being <laughs> um what's the word skin it's you know it's biological Whereas a car's not biological. So do you want to elaborate on, on your shift in embracing or not embracing human technology? Well, I um, I suppose it's come partly because of this being confined, confined to my habitat. I normally do quite a lot of traveling around and I'm passing through habitats and I live in a habitat, but it feels like quite a transitory thing in, in retrospect now now I can't leave it so much we can't leave leave our habitat so much we are we're embedded in a way that we, we perhaps didn't choose but there's nonetheless 
potentially beneficial. So having described it, as I did earlier, the, the joy of the of the quiet and the not just the quiet, but the actual being able to hear the sounds once the blanket of car noise had gone. And then almost as soon as that had happened, uh, the cars started to return. And that was a, was a real moment for me. I kind of, I hated it. I really hated it. Like I resented it and I thought, I don't want to hear those sounds in my habitat. And that was, it, it represented everything that I, I hoped wouldn't happen out of this opportunity that we had of this disruption um, to our, our consuming and our, our traveling and our CO2 emissions and our lack of, lack of meaningful connectedness with each other. And I thought, I thought this is a great opportunity. And I think in some ways we are finding ways out of that. I, I see those opportunities are being grasped a bit. But in the early days of the traffic coming back, I just felt really hopeless and despairing. And, but I kept being troubled by John Cage's famous, famous quote, which is, music is all around, it's we who turn away. He lived, as I'm sure your listeners will know, in the middle of Manhattan in New York. And he loved it. He loved it. This, this musician whose practice was so much about the profoundest listening experiences. I've always thought I couldn't live there because of the noise and I want to, to get away from that kind of noise. Maybe I should move out of the city and live somewhere properly quiet without the, the traffic noise. And I, I, I listened and I listened and I was angry. But as I listened, I started to... Actually, it's partly because I was also recording things in my garden. And when I recorded the things in my garden, <laughs> what I found that because of the way I was recording things, I was hearing myself as well. Uh, so I, I, re I discovered that these were actually self-portraits as much as I was really about capturing the sounds of the blackbird and the sounds of the wind in the leaves and the sounds of the, the traffic as it goes around my, uh, the junction at the bottom of my garden. Uh, I was also hearing my breath my footsteps. Every every three minutes I've discovered I swallow and a little sound ha happens in my nose. And because <laughs> I'm recording using binaural microphone binaural microphones on my ears, those sounds you really pick up. And I, you know, I didn't intend those sounds to be there, but nonetheless I had to accept them. And it told me I'm here. This is me in my habitat. I'm a human here. And and this is my place. And my neighbors, that's their place. And this is the, the community we are and have, and we are in it with the blackbirds and the crows and, and everything that we're growing and the, and the weeds and the things that, that we haven't planned, <laughs> the, the things we control and the things we don't control, that whole picture is there. And so I started thinking about, I can't, I, I, it's not my job, I can't, I can't be judging these sounds in this habitat. I, I simply need to reflect them. So I, I started to think about this practice of just noticing, perceiving, not judging, not saying, well, I don't like those sounds, so they don't exist, or I'm not going to include them. I'm, I'm holding up a mirror to, to the sound uh, in, in a neutral way. That's, that's kind of where I am at the moment in my practice. That's in the sound walks, as well as in the recordings that I'm making. I find that really, really interesting. That it, I'm not a Buddhist, but it sounds very Buddhist in the okay. sense of acceptance and non-judgment and what, what something, you know, the, the resistance that comes up. Like I remember yesterday when we were up the green lane and there was a break in it and something, 
some noise came in and it was like, oh God, no, I'm trying to listen to the leaves in the tree. And there's this car or a, or a bandsaw kicking off in the distance. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I'm trying to exclude. I have in my, in my head this construct that nature, the natural environment somehow has to be a certain way instead of just listening to how it actually is and humans are animals and therefore by default even though it kind of goes against the convention human generated noise is as much a part of our environment as wind in the trees first of all you have to perceive it and understand it and notice it and I think there's a lot that we don't notice or that we've grown used to about the sounds in our environment um and, you know, traffic, traffic noise is something that we hadn't really noticed until it was gone. So as, as a community, we've, we've forgotten what that is like in our landscape, not to have that sound. Actually, the only other time that I haven't had that sound in my landscape was during the Great West run when the road was closed. And instead of cars, what you heard was people's footsteps running. It was a day I look forward to every year. But the difference between that and this time is that every every road every road was closed, so that you didn't hear the motorway, you didn't hear the dual carriageways, the very distant, continuous blanketing sound. We were free from all of that, so that was the major difference. It wasn't just one road; it was every road gone. So, how does that feedback? Yesterday, we kind of touched on noise pollution. So, I think it's. 80% of the population in the UK live within an urban environment. So we are subjected to what is defined as noise pollution, you know, the human generated noise that causes stress and anxiety within us, usually at an unconscious level, but it's there. Does the negative consequences of noise pollution get minimised through the practice of active listening that's a really interesting question i think about a lot i think listening to a sound any sound is just vibrations through the air and so you can find infinite variations in it and you can even hear music in it in the sense that music is is relative rhythms in in time and um and pitches in what se- in what way is listening to a road different to listening to a waterfall or rushing rushing water somehow or or the sound of wind in the trees and they're, they're rather interesting things to listen to and compare I think I've made a recording of um, the, the river x going over a weir and I'm standing next to it and on the other side of me is a very busy road and I'm really interested in listening to the relationship between the sounds on, on the one hand, the river, natural river, although it is a, a human construct, the way of course, so that's another artificial sound. Um, and then the road, the road noise and the relationship between them. So I, f- I feel that there's a way I can, I can neutrally, ne- in a neutral way, decide to listen to the sounds for their, for their own, on their own terms. Whether or not I then, um, would prefer them or not if I was to truly construct my environment I might construct a different environment but I do think that paying attention honestly and not saying I'm not listening to that they don't exist those those sounds I don't like it it puts you in a new place where you can say you can then change it if you want to 
And so we, we know it's there. We've heard it now. We were used to it before and we didn't notice it. And now we notice it and we think, actually, that's not something that we want. But I don't think it's my job to make that decision. But I am interested in a, in a discussion about that. And I, and I hope that what my work makes that happen. And what I am finding is since I'm making this and I, I, I've become the person who listens and the, the, is that lots of people now talk to me about what they're hearing. And on this, in this current lockdown, people, people are saying to me, oh, Emma, do you think it's quieter now with this second lockdown? Do you think, you know, there's people asking the question, will this lockdown be as quiet as the last one? And, and eager to see what's this autumn lockdown going to be? How is this going to be different to the spring lockdown? You know, what different sounds are we going to be hearing? We've got this new memory that we're building in this experience and this journey. So it's much more in people's awareness, I think. And I feel pleased, I'm quite pleased with that. That, that sense and I, th I've, I think I'm certainly one of many people who are working in this way in various ways across the world I think at the moment it feels like it's time has come I, I think and in terms of things like the discussions about low traffic neighborhoods and how do people really want to live how do we want to make our habitats better for ourselves for our health I, I, I don't doubt that being exposed to relentless noise traffic is bad for us i suppose it is literally a physical pressure on your eardrum it was lifted when the road stopped and oh gosh i don't have to cope with that anymore it was a feeling of real liberation and listening became such a pleasure such a delight you couldn't get enough of these sounds this this sensation of listening and, and everybody talked about it so i think it's really worth doing yeah you know, I'm not saying just listen to everything who cares what's what it is this is the music this is the music of my habitat you can't argue with that you can't say that's not music that's not the music this is <laughs> it's there um uh but you can then say oh well it didn't used to sound like that or you can say oh well, imagine so in one of the sound walks I invite people to stand on a junction of the main road and I, and listen for a while I point out that there are some very large trees on the road, up and down and back in, in various directions. And I ask people to concentrate only on listening to the trees. And then I ask them to concentrate only on listening to the traffic and the way the, jun the junction affects the traffic flow and the sounds. And then I invite people to go a step further and say, can you imagine this habitat without any trees? And then can you imagine this habitat without any traffic? So sort of thought experiment but I think by attending to it you can do that kind of quite playful thing and if you can do those imaginative things then you can imagine affecting change I think out of it but without the imagination you can't get there interesting I suppose the big one where we live is there's a big move to make the cities certainly the city center car free so that's a re, I mean, that's a, that's an active project happening within the council locally to go, okay, so how do we do this? How do we do this where the small business owners don't lose out if there's any left after this complete COVID fiasco? Like you say, it, it, it does allow us to potentially imagine, I think if there's no, if there's never a glimmer of opportunity in darkness, then we really are screwed. And the opportunity, like you've said, is we've all experienced it without the cars and the planes. And how important 
was that for people? Was it almost like a hunger, a yearning that they suddenly realized they were absolutely famished, that, that they want to recapture that again? Yes, because I think at the same time as we had that sonic wonderland, we also, lots of us, had time to attend to it. People who suddenly couldn't work like me and weren't busy traveling and filling every hour with stuff that meant we had to be not attending. being So we had time uh, and we had fewer distractions. And I had lots of conversations just with my neighbors, really. And first of all, you know, I connected with my neighbors more profoundly than I have before actually I really was present and still am but everybody was saying without I deliberately didn't prompt people but everybody was talking about how much they had enjoyed less in so many respects you know less less car noise um less activity actually less you know it's hard to say this in the autumn when we're when we're all struggling but even people said less social life there's less obligation to go and be places just less distractions, less buying, less shopping. Less, you know, it was uh, it, it felt like rather sort of well back back to back to basics. We're in a sort of authentic state of existence in some ways. It wasn't great for everybody that, but I think what I'm doing now is uh, as I I know that we it, the, the sort of cr- general crescendo. We're always sort of encouraged to resume our participation in the economy as a way to help getting out of the crisis I'm sort of resisting but still I'm concerned about the long-term consequences of this planned suspension of our economic balance but I, I feel my job as a musician at the moment is to continue holding a space for the magic of that listening experience that we all enjoyed so it's about holding a space I'm going to say it even though it's unrelated I, I do find it quite curious that with the economy about to implode, if it hasn't already, and capitalism kind of creaking, that a lot of my friends who, are, who aren't particularly fond of capitalism are now kind of going, we've got to save the economy. It's like, hang on, we've got a moment <laughs> right now <laughs> to shift it somewhere else. And I'm not going to say where that is because that's up to everyone else to decide. But if you're particularly anti-capitalist, why are you whining that the economy is going? It doesn't compute in my head. I have to say, it's like, hang on, you've got the chance to bring in what you wanted. Just start thinking the imagination again. Just start thinking and making it happen. That's really interesting. I was going to say about the interruption to income streams is very interesting as musicians suddenly we're, we're completely dispensable and then the other people who are absolutely essential are completely overwhelmed with their responsibility of their jobs healthcare workers uh, carers the incredible divide of people who uh, a sense of sort of value in society has, has been really challenged and challenging I think just something that's quite playful from my point of view I have hugely benefited from the government's self-employment income support scheme I don't know what I'd be doing now if I hadn't had that and in a way I I have lacked confidence in the past creatively to actually devote my attention to my purely creative pursuit because I've had my violin playing violin teaching running of choirs I've had skills and that are of value conventional value in in a conventional musical economy and they they they're now you know redundant 
So I'm free of that. I'm free of that obligation. So I've had this investment from the government that I wasn't expecting in my creative journey. And God, I mean, I think if, if more people had that investment, you know, there, might, there may be ways of, of making that happen for people that, that we, we do have a kind of basic, um, basic support structure somehow, which allows us to give the thing that is really the most valuable thing that we're capable of offering. Uh, which I think is what I'm doing now. <laughs> I think there are other people who could play the violin, but the thing that I've come up with is, is, is the thing that I can do. <laughs> yes. I, I do invite people to make a donation if they download my sound walks or if they do a sound walk with me and totally up to them to decide what that might be. Um, it might be money, but I've also been paid in a homemade Cornish pasty. <laughs> I've been paid by somebody giving me one of their own self-penned books and I've been paid by people writing a very long and thoughtful email to me about sound and their experience in the sound walk together with me so there's so many different ways of paying <laughs> yeah uh, and exchange and value and I'm really excited about that I mean it, it, it's it, it's precarious I don't know how you square if you're not getting enough enough to eat, then you obviously that's that profoundly focusing of, of the mind. But if you can diversify and have some money and some other things, then that, that feels like a kind of exciting proposition to me. I remember Frank Cook, my, my plant mentor, who booted me out the door to start teaching foraging. His model, his business model, for want of a better word, was donation-based. And he would receive cash, but he would also receive lots of very beautiful handmade objects, bits of art. And he lived like that. That's how he did his business. And for two years, when I first started, that's exactly how I worked. People usually just gave me cash. So I never got any beautiful objects. It's a reciprocity, which again, is modelled within the ecosystem. Plants sharing nutrients with other members of its community through mycelium and stuff like that. So nature as a, as a, as a blueprint of where we go forwards, I, I'm definitely kind of a bit geeking out on it as well. Why reinvent the wheel? We are, you know, the ecosystem's pretty blooming good. And what I like about your sound walks is that it it enables us to engage with the ecosystem and perceive things in the ecosystem we might not have per perceived before going about our hyperactive hyperadrenalized hyperproductive go-getting kind of culture even those of us in the counterculture we're still driven by that i see it all the time we just have different colors that's all Mm. Um, but to bring it back to the soundwalks, one one thing I, that I I kind of touched on yesterday was I really I could really see your work moving or niching, I suppose, down into like walking around botanical gardens and applying your active listening. Do you think that would work? I mean, it's going to work, isn't it? Because it's sound, it's all around. But in the context of specifically 
plants and botanical gardens or just regular gardens how yeah how would you see that unfold and and this is you know you're very local to me so also how can other kind of advice for other people who are listening on how they might be able to start and you mentioned listening practices or attentive attent, att- what i call attention practices so do you want to just riff hmm. on that i'll start on that attention practices um how to start well do you know what i think if you can when you get up in the morning or whenever you get up <laughs> if you get up in the afternoon uh whenever you get up uh make your beverage of choice and take it outside and find a bench or somewhere you can sit or a wall, somewhere you can sit down and drink your tea or whatever it is there. That's, I think, what I did mostly to begin with. I just waited. <laughs> That's the other thing, waiting, waiting. And as you wait, you find the sounds come to you. You'll hear the... You know, you'll hear the obvious things. You hear the things that, that are there to begin with. But the more you wait, the more will be revealed. And if you want to do an exercise, which I quite often do, just, just as a sort of scanning and checking, I think about what is the sound immediately around me, around my body? And then what's the, what sounds are there in the mid, mid-range that I can see? And then what are the sounds? What's the furthest distance sound? What's the, like, the horizon sound? What's that? What, what can I hear there? So that's quite a nice revealing exercise, I think. And then the further one is, would be for fun, just to see, can I, he- can I hear all those sounds at the same time? Yeah. Just being a little bit playful with, with your attention and focusing it. In terms of people's gardens and botanical gardens that's the thing that I'm finding is that you of course you can listen anywhere (laughs) one of the things that I really love walking through my residential areas when I'm making my sound walks is the difference of people's gardens and the sonic potential in people's gardens and the decisions that they've made what is this garden a habitat for how is this garden uh, this bit of this patch of planet being cared for, nurtured or shared. Maybe it's a habitat for a car. Maybe it's got a, it's, I love, I love water, water features in front gardens because they're so surprising. They come across, they, the sound suddenly you hear them before you see them. They jump out at you from behind a hedge, water features, the sound of them. So I think doing a walk along people's front gardens is really fascinating because you, you learn so much. Someone's got a tree in it then you've got a sounds of the breeze going through some other leaves or twigs. You might have birds. You've got that element of high up. Um, so you, you tip your head up to catch the sounds. And if it doesn't have a tree, you don't do that. So it makes you behave differently. I, I spend quite a lot of time listening to different shrubs, different bushes, <laughs> yeah. there, the way they rattle, the way that the, the, the sheen on a leaf or, or whether it's matte or glossy, will make a different sound if it's feathery we, we we noticed huge feathery oak leaves didn't we yeah um very soft sounding and we were comparing them with the sound of the wind through pine needles it's utterly compelling and rich and we, we also talked yesterday didn't we 
be about playing with identification ways of identifying yeah. and I've discovered if I walk at night some of my sound walks are at night if I walk through large trees at night I can play a game of can I identify the tree by the sound of my footsteps beneath it so I uh, recently found myself walking on acorns and then beech nuts and then pine cones I could only hear the sound of my feet and you could do a similar thing, which you suggested, Robin. Can you identify the tree by the leaves? Um, so, yeah, it's endless. It's endless. And the diversity and the variety of that kind of attentive listening is so rich and rewarding. In a botanical garden, you know, you could do, you could, you could design from that experience, you, you could design, design a, a sonic garden, couldn't you? This, these are the sounds. This is a range of sound, sound experiences. I don't know if anyone's done that. Interesting to find out. I don't know how many years ago it was, three years, four years ago, I wrote an article called Talking Trees. And I remember being in London in a park and I was walking around and I suddenly dropped down to rather than being up in my head and my thoughts and machinations, I, I flipped down into my body and the sense that really kind of the volume was turned up was was my ears my auditory and I just picked in hooked into the sound of wind in trees and in that moment I posited the thought exercise of is it possible to identify trees by the sound of the wind in the leaves which just Purely from a creative, fun exercise, I thought quite a fascinating thing to kind of explore. And I have been exploring it. But it kind of, after yesterday, it kind of then rolled, expanded outwards, actually, that, you know, with, with botany, we predominantly, if you open up a wildflower guide, we observe the patterns of the plant. That's how we ID it. But my approach to to learning plants is yes you obviously you use bot botanical id and keys and use your eyes but then you engage more of your senses and then what came out of yesterday's walk for me was you know because i get people to to pick a bit of a plant when when i'm showing it to them and to roll it between their fingers and and listen to the sound of the texture as it as it as the fibers are breaking and that is a key. That's a sensory somatic key to, to what that plant is. And I give you an example of, again, going plant spotting at night or as dusk is descending where your eyes can't necessarily pick up the visual aspects of the plant, but your other senses can, your touch can, the sound can, definitely the smell can. Um, and so these are all pointers to us. And then from yesterday, it was like, wow, it would be really quite interesting if you did like 20 trees and part of their identification was to record the sound of the habitat that tree grows in, whether or not it would be, there would be a, a generic similarity of the habitat. It was just, again, a I do a lot of thought experiments and exercises just purely to entertain myself. But they are actually potentially have quite practical applications. 
to something like plant identification. Now, for me, the, the, the positive benefits of sound is that it brings us right here. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, mm. it's not listening to a YouTube video. It's our environment where we are. And in the context of nature connection, sound is like you say it it's infinite isn't it the way the various ways we could explore this it's really essential to my practice that this the sound walks are not mediated by any kind of technology in terms of the sound obviously i have to share my walks my pictures with people and i print them out and share them but i i share them on the internet but once you've printed it as a as a sheet of pdf sheet of paper you take that with you and then you're on your own it's your ears and my suggestions you've got my some of my observations but they're your ears and it's your experience and I'm not interested in putting people's attention into their phone while they were out walking because you know physically you've got your hand in front of you your head's pointing down which means your ears are pointing down <laughs> interacting with this thing and you are communing with with it you are not communing up and out and in all directions in this openly receptive way which is what is so exciting and it's a profoundly different state of being I think you were asking me several times yesterday why listen and I, I suppose why listen why creatures listen there's a lot to do with danger uh, how are we alerted to danger and threat but we don't have much danger and threat so I suppose we listen to a road because we we need to cross it at a safe point. So we use our senses then to preserve our, our safety. We don't really need to attend in great detail to things around us because they're, they're, not, um, they're not threatening us. So we don't practice that or value it. But what's interesting to me is thinking about that lack of practice, that lack of attention, is that we are deaf to the greater threat of biodiversity loss, because we don't notice it going. So the practice and encouraging a practice of detailed attentive listening is also about capturing a moment. And what I've found is that if you really pay attention and capture a moment in time, like in the spring, I, I, I paused for a while to listen to a duet between a bridge drip, a drip of water that persistently comes falls from a bridge on one side of the pavement and a grasshopper chirping on the other side of the pavement. And I was between them and I spent some time listening to that and put it into one of my sound walks. And then a few months later, I did this. I was in the same place and I paused and there was only the drip and the grasshopper had gone. I'll remember that forever. Yeah. Uh, and I'll notice if it comes back. Really being present in the environment, attentive, we can understand more and we notice the changes and they become, they are real and, and we can mourn them or celebrate them when they return. That's really interesting because that grasshopper is only there for a particular point in time in the year. I've only been in a city for the last five years now. And it's taken me four years to stop rattling <laughs> and uh, finally feel relatively settled because I've been a country bumpkin before that most of my life. One of my reservations of the human constructed urban, built urban environment was that it doesn't change like an organic 
environment does. We're looking in November here, recording this, and the leaves of the trees have shifted and are falling and mulching down on the ground, whereas a month ago they were still relatively on the showing and hadn't fallen. And so in biological environments, they there's a movement, there's that naturalness, I suppose that's why we, we refer to it as nature, even though I don't like using that word because the word nature somehow still separates the human animal from the ecosystem. And yet the urban built environment, human environment, non-biological environment is, is static. It, it, you know, yeah, okay, sunlight and things like that will change it. But the actual structure of, of, a, of a building, I suppose over time it decays, but it's, it doesn't, it feels, I think, I always used to say people live in cities because it's safer. It feels safer for them because it's, it's fixed, it's relatively permanent. Whereas in the wilds, nothing's permanent. Yeah, it ain't permanent. And it's on a continuum, it's moving. And I suppose that comes back to the, the Buddhist concept of, of impermanence. You know, nothing's fixed. It's a, there's a process going on. And like you say, with your attention practices on your sound walks between the drip, 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 and or the buzz of you mentioned the buzz of like the 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 broadband fiber box that's continually humming, and a cricket. It's a good counterpoint between the biological and the non-biological worlds that humans seem to move in and out of. Yeah, that is fascinating. I, I find that, and the, and 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 you wouldn't come across that unless you. It, you wouldn't kind of allow that to happen unless you were deliberately consciously being neutral and just receptive oh. to sounds arriving. Yeah, I love that that you've brought that um the the broadband box in, into that beautifully. I'm gonna look out for grasshoppers duetting with buzzing utility boxes from now on. <laughs> <laughs> Actually thinking about you know massive change uh, in an in a habitat. I mean think uh, I've I've learned a lot about to put the top how sound is affected by the topography and um, you and I both live in the X Valley uh, and um, it's it's not a very of well, those hills rising up we don't tend to think of it it's quite a wide valley in a sort of urban urban sprawl in it but um, I look across the valley and I hear massive sounds bouncing across from one side of the valley to the other um, and I watched a few years ago as a whole row of large mature trees were removed from the riverbank wow. near, near the station. I could see them from my house and they were removed as part of riverbank improvements and flood defences, but also so that a massive new railway depot hangar could be constructed so that the trains could be repaired and um, maintained. And so the trees went and this massive building. But as far as I'm concerned, the massive building, I've no idea what's in it, I don't know what's the other side of it, but from my, my point of view, it's a, it's a flat plane, a massive flat plane. And that's changed the acoustic of the whole valley because the sounds bounce off it so successfully, yeah. <laughs> and so directly. Uh, so I often, now I now I hear when there are loud, sudden thuds, and we have quite a few of them uh, going on, 
in this part of the city. You hear that building interacting <laughs> with the other sounds around it as well. I was thinking about what you're talking about cities and biodiversity. And I mean, is it not true that actually cities are somehow potentially more biodiverse than agricultural land? Richer acoustically, richer sonically, um, potentially than some bit, some areas of the farmland. I'm certainly no expert on that, but my initial mm. feelings are, yes, I have heard that cities are more biodiverse. But when we're talking farmland, then we're, you, I, get, I got picked up on this the other day by some farmers mm. when I posted about people criticising foragers as being pillagers. And I said, well, I've got a lot more concern about industrial agriculture that destroys hedgerows and and destroys biodiversity if so people can eat cheap food from a supermarket and it's being transported hundreds of miles if not thousands and the farmers or some farmers jumped in on my neck and you know in a polite way they, they jumped in on my neck um I like farmers <laughs> uh, some of the old ones around here have knowledge of the ecosystem that's just like oh my god I just want to sit in your living room and listen to you mm. talk about the natural world yeah um, and then others are just up in their their massy ferguson tractors and don't give a shit basically and i do say that because i've had a farmer tell me to my face they hate plants <laughs> and or they hate weeds actually so yeah farmland just agricultural industrial big farms most probably a lot less biodiversity i mean i shared with you you know, that that sound recording of, was it the Somerset Plains 2,000 years ago and some archaeologists and sound artists had kind of constructed what the sound would have been like 2,000 years ago there, and it's, it's noisy. We've got less insects now, so that farmland is, is going to have less sound. And the, that sound with many birds and insects and also human voices, mm -hmm. humans chatting, which is really, really beautiful. I, I, I was very inspired by Bernie Krause's book, The Great Animal Orchestra. I don't know if you read that one. No. Where he, um, he's a uh, long-term uh, studying of the sound uh, as evidence of biodiversity loss. So using sound as against vision, sight, sound can can reveal what you can't see case in point i look out of my 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 house my front window across the x valley and it looks it looks green it's full of trees yeah it's absolutely full of trees it doesn't really look like a city actually um that's what you'd say if you came and you could see you go there's trees everywhere this is a fantastic natural environment if you use your ears what you hear is machines and urban environment even though Exeter is a very small city yeah. <laughs> the sound of it it sounds perfectly like any any city you don't know the scale it's just urban urban noise roads and, and trains and stuff what Bernie Krause in the Great Animal Orchestra is is holding the microphone up to the rainforest and comparing recordings made of the rainforest from 30 years apart and the although visually the rainforest looks appears the same the sound is completely different and there are huge holes in the sound spectrum and the sound spectrum he explains is is where every every sound that is made every creature making sound has its own place 
in the pitch, a frequency section, just like an orchestra does. You get the double basses up to the piccolo and the glockenspiel, and every 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 layer has it has an occupant in there. Um, it might change through for the day. Uh, so I think it's really worth, you know, using sound in the same way in a city to say, how, how are we occupying this space? How, what is the spectrum? What's the balance? What proportion of the sound spectrum is occupied by human sound? And where is, what is the other sound? What are the other sounds there? And using, you know, a critical ear and learning from that. And, you know, in terms of change, making change, you know, use that information to help with future planning what do, what do we want this habitat to sound like you know we're, yeah. in, we're in charge of it <laughs> that's one of the the things i wanted to kind of point out to listeners was that with active listening you also brought in cupping your hands behind your ears and then in front yeah. of your ears and then i mentioned lying down on the ground or crouching down on the ground and listening as opposed to standing up and and so that's kind of playing with our body in relationship to in this context sound as well and how yeah. it affects so the moving body or the static body and the different levels because that completely changed the listening experience for me. So I, I really like do, using my cupping of my hands. So if you cup, if you make your, you can make your ears bigger basically yeah. <laughs> by cupping your hands behind them. You know, it's the kind of thing you do automatically. If you're trying to hear somebody, what, hear what they're saying better, you cup your hand around your ear and you put one ear towards them, don't you? But if you put your hands behind each, both ears, and then if you're at a, near a tree, for example, a large tree, and the sound, you think there might be some sounds coming from the upper branches, but you're not quite you can't hear them. If you cup your hands behind your ears and look up, then you will gather them. So you're creating a bigger surface area to, to gather. And then, as you said, if you if you change the angle of your hands so that they are front of your ear, you'll be gathering the sounds that are behind you in a way that you, you we're not biology biologically set up to do. Other other creatures do, like cat, you know, you said a deer or cats, you know, they is twitching all the time to capture things from specific directions always looking for more information refining yeah. that information lying down was was a great revelation for me yesterday it was fantastic i don't quite know why <laughs> but it was very in, in part, partly it was because we then weren't in the way of the wind quite so much yes so minimizing the wind allowed us to hear things that were being blocked by it but there was more than that i think it was something about the way sound travels over the very surface of a hilly slope something about the acoustic there was really revealing and, and phenomenally relaxing <laughs> just found myself sinking sinking into the earth there and just being very comfortable listening talking about how you position yourself in space I've been really enjoying using structures that I find in the environment to see how they change the sound. So standing within a corner of a building and facing out of that corner and how that collects sounds in a different way will focus different sounds from the environment that I hadn't noticed onto me. 
And the other thing is, are you still or are you moving? So make, having a practice where you, you pause and you pay attention and you're really waiting to hear and then playing with, I've really, I'm really habituated to this sound. I know exactly where, where I am. And then moving out of that space and you're very receptive then to any, the slightest change of environment. So yesterday we spent a long time standing next to a roundabout at the very lowest point of our walk. And then we set off to walk and the, at the very slightest elevation up the hill, suddenly a flood of new sounds came in because we were above the level of some of the local walls that were blocking them. So transitioning, and I really enjoy deliberately, this is a kind of musical composer thing, I suppose, that I really enjoy moving from one space to another and noticing in a continuous way that I'm remixing the sounds around me. So for example, I position myself right next to a row of poplar trees beneath them and then walking away from them towards a weir. And I love to notice when's the first time I hear the weir. And then as I walk towards the weir, the, the, their relative dynamics swap over. And at some point, the poplars are diminishing in the distance and the weir is all, all consuming. I just really love that. That's a feast for me of listening. <laughs> I think I think I like the word, the, it's a feast. And it sensory engagement with our environment for me is is just so key to my well-being and self-care and you've really <laughs> lit a fire under me with sound because i'm just yeah i'm just exploring how in my own work i can incorporate more of it i already do with my nature connection practices and workshops that I run, but I just find it, it's something that we can all do. It, it's not locked into a certain demographic, only they can have access to it. This is something for listeners that, that you can do right where you are today. It doesn't require any equipment. There's nothing, you know, leave the smartphone behind when you go out and just play, just play with your environment through sonics. I don't know whether that's the right word. I like the word sonics. Yeah, why not? Um, and yeah, playing is really, really important. I do a lot of interacting with things in the environment and th looking for sort of potential, you know, what sound does this thing make? And I was remembering yesterday, there was a really lovely moment where we stopped next to it. There were quite a few ash trees, which mostly had lost their leaves, but they still had all their keys attached to them and at one point they yeah. were within reach and we we played the ash keys <laughs> and um I was kind of looking to see what they felt like but actually I was really I thought it had a beautiful sound a gentle um rattle of the bunch of ash keys when I I played them with my fingers and you know though at that moment we made we made such a rich connection with that plant that tree and that I'd never thought of doing before and I would put that in a sound walk now saying you know, if you can reach the ash keys this is the time you know November this is a special thing that the ash tree offers us now in November you yeah. can't do this in the spring because there aren't any keys or there shouldn't be maybe they are still hanging around by then but also you know particularly think about the ash you know we're we're gonna we're saying we're saying goodbye to these trees aren't we sorry yeah. it's quite emotional but um you know we need to connect with them as much as we can. 
that's what the work does. It plugs us in very deeply to what we're losing in the natural world. I'm quite surprised by my reaction because I've been wondering for myself whether my current practice involves emotion in any way. In a, in a similar way that, you know, music, conventional human music has that role for us. Yeah. And I've, I know that I'm quite... Um, I don't really know what the lack of human type music is doing for me and other musicians and people who are missing music at the moment. But I think what I'm learning <laughs> right this second is that this practice of mine, which is new and in some ways replacing a previous practice or augmenting it is as, as powerful emotionally as listening to a symphony. I totally agree. I totally agree. And it, it's, it, there's the old saying, I, I think I knew when I asked you to come on the show, irrespective of whether or not you were aware of it, the power of sound and engaging. And so out, out of the, the concert hall and into the environment and as, as you've just experienced, the, the intense feelings that come up sometimes when we engage with, with a natural form that is dying out because of numerous complex reasons and that that plugging in makes us realise how much we love it and that things we love, we don't hurt. And therefore the simple act of a sound walk can be a massive catalyst for people because of that emotional and empathic engagement. I think it's extremely powerful work you're doing. Yeah extremely powerful and beyond even at this stage because it's new it will unfold and reveal itself in greater and greater depths of just how important doing these practices are in my own work I'm, I'm completely blown away every time I've run workshops and retreats and engaged sensory based practices of which obviously sound is one aspect of that and just how deeply profound an effect it has on not only people's well-being, sense of well-being, but their empathic relationship to the ecosystem that prior to coming on that event, they might not have been aware of. So thank you very yeah. much. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. And yeah, I'm learning. I'm learning a great deal through the conversations that I'm having with you, Robin. Thanks. I really appreciate that. Well, likewise, it's reciprocal there, Emma. So we're kind of coming to the end where we are yeah, quite over normal, the normal length of a show. So 
would you like to share with people where they can get in touch with you? Obviously, I'm going to put the links in the show notes, like I mentioned at the beginning. Mm. So I now have a website. It's emmawelton.net. My surname is W-E-L-T-O-N. And I am on Twitter. Uh, it's Emma T. Welton. And um, on Facebook, Emma Welton. I think there's a number after it, but I think you could probably find me. Exeter Soundwalks is my project. They've been shortlisted for Soundwalk September by Walk, Listen, Create, which I was really thrilled about and not expecting at all. So have a look on that fantastic resource, Walk, Listen, Create website for loads of other Soundwalks inspiring people. The pieces that I make in my garden, which we haven't really talked about, but music in the garden. There are also little studies, sound studies of particular subjects in my garden and they're also viewable on my my website and you can download them but I urge you if you are interested in doing some sound walking but you don't live in my neighborhood you know all of all the all that we're doing uh, is is um, replicable in your neighborhood and also if if anyone is really wanting to nerd out on this and start actually recording their own sound walks then there'll be links in the show notes to the equipment that you can use and that Emma recommends. And there'll be other links to some of the other sound artists that have literature that you can follow up with if you really want to dive deep. But at the end of the day, it's about walking out your front door and just starting to listen. So thanks again. Yeah, pleasure. Bye.